Mark chapter 14, verse 3. I think one of the most powerful verses in the Bible here, or what we read here happening in Mark chapter 14, I want to read verses 3 through 6. Here Jesus is at Bethany, and he's nearing the last few days before he's led to his death. Something amazing, thing, something amazing happens here. Let's read this together. And while he was at Bethany in verse 3, Mark 14, in the house of Simon the leper. Isn't that interesting? Simon the leper. You know, it's interesting that the writer of Mark here uh, chooses to put in there Simon the leper. I thought Jesus healed lepers. I don't know. But here's Simon the leper. And as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of anointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Picture with me the scene here. This is a, this is a scene where, where we have Mary, Martha, Jesus. We see a group of people here meeting together. And the picture that we see here is really a celebration of Christ. It's a celebration of Jesus. And this looked like it was something that was planned because we know that Mary and Martha's home with Lazarus, and by the way, a chapter earlier, he has been resurrected. He's been brought from the grave. So Lazarus is there. And so this is probably a larger home. And a woman, they have this whole event. They have a dinner. Martha is serving in John chapter 12. Martha is no longer freaking out about the details of life. But she's just in, in the flow of just serving Jesus and loving people. And there's this moment that comes in the dinner. And if this is something that was probably planned, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're all siblings. And so this was something that was probably pre-planned, I would imagine, that there would be a moment during the supper where, where the family heirloom would be brought out. And this is an alabaster box. Alabaster, how many of you have seen something that's made of alabaster? It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic um, piece of work. And she brings this out, and this alabaster box is probably about 11 ounces. And inside of this is, an, is, a, is a fragrance, and it's made up some very, very cool stuff. And if you like to read about some symbolic, symbolic things, study the ingredients sometime of this, of the, uh, the fragrance that is poured out on Jesus' head. And she breaks this box. It's actually probably more like a flask, not a box. King James says box. And on the top was probably um, a handle with a thin neck. And it was to be broken. And when it is broken, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of a shattering sound, like almost like glass. And as it breaks, there's no way to put it back together. When this, when this flask is broken, it was meant to use for a one-time thing. It was all or nothing. And she breaks this. She comes behind Jesus, I imagine, at the table, and she pours it over his head. We see in other parts of the Gospels that she's also probably anointing his feet as well. 
And she pours this over his head. And as soon as she does that, what fills the room? Before, the room was filled with chatter, just excitement about Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. The story of how um, Mary and Martha were just distraught that Jesus didn't show up on time in John chapter 11. And then he, Jesus delays on purpose three days. And God shows up not according to the schedule of Mary and Martha. And they're, they're just, they're frantic. Lazarus is risen from the dead. And there's this excited talk. There's also Simon the leper. And there's other individuals there too that are quite judgmental as we see later on. The flask is broken. There's that sound of a cracking sound. And then suddenly there is this fragrance that fills the room. It says fills. The word fill means fill. <laughs> it means that every, every nook and cranny of that room was filled with this incredible fragrance that came from this heirloom. This heirloom here we read here later, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, I mean indignantly, I mean you know what indignant means? This means someone is extremely upset. These, this is a very mad, these are very mad people. For me, what a contrast these scriptures are here. Here is Jesus. He's about to, he's about to be massacred. He's about, he's about to be murdered. He's about to be tortured on the most difficult and the hardest, uh, the most insane form of torture that a human being can go through. And that is the Roman crucifixion. And here, verse 4, there were some that said to themselves, I imagine they were thinking this. We don't. We don't know if this was said audibly to each other, but there were some that were really perturbed. It really irked them. They had a problem with this. There was a, there was, they were upset, and they were not happy with this. And they were, their, their thought process was this. Why was the ointment wasted like that? What a waste. Let's think about that for a moment. Here's Jesus in the center of the room. There's a fragrance that fills the room. It is just filling the room. Chatter, the talk all stops. Everybody's looking at Jesus. Jesus is the preeminent center of everything that's going on right at that moment during the dinner. All eyes are on Jesus. And there are some people that are indignant. Verse 5, here's the psychology. We see the psychology of the world here. When we say world, when we read the word world in the scriptures, replace that with the word system. The system. The system that we live in. The political system, the economic system, the social system, the religious system, all the systems that are in the world today. This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. You ever read, you ever read verses like that and like you think, what's a denarii or a denera? What's, what are those? This equals a year's wage, which is probably going to be in our, in our um, terms, twenty-five to $30,000. This was an heirloom that was passed from generation to generation to generation. And they said, why was, this, why was this wasted on Jesus? It could have been given to the poor. You ever hear that? Have we ever heard that kind of? I've heard of it. I've heard people talk like that. And actually, I've actually thought that myself. Why was this not given to the poor? This could have been used for ministry. This could have been used for outreach. This could have been used for social good. This could have been used for the community. What a waste. And they scolded her. So they turn around and they're scolding this woman. What a scene of contradiction. But Jesus said, leave her alone. He sees what's going on. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing to me. 
these verses mean so much to me. Whenever I read them, it just stirs my heart so much because I think of three human realities. There are three human realities that we see here in these verses. Number one, and we see each one of them. Number one, we see hardship and loss. See this woman here, she is experiencing loss. She's breaking something. She is losing something that really meant a lot to the family. Have you ever done something like that where you're in a place where you make a decision and this decision really hurts and this is the right thing to do or you make a decision based on the value of something in your life or make a decision on a person and you say, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to do this and it's going to cost me a lot. It's going to cost my flesh and blood. And so she does that and I always try to think about what was it like when she was walking home that day got this empty alabaster glass. Maybe she doesn't have it. And she's thinking, that's it. That was from my great-grandmother. And that is the whole story, my great-grandmother. And now it's gone. And I go home, I have nothing. I have nothing to show for it except for the fragrance on my hands. The fragrance, we know the fragrance was so strong that the fragrance was going to last seven days. That means that when Jesus marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he came in he began to speak. He was in the, te- he was in the temple, um, turning the tables upside down. He was speaking to the Pharisees. He was testifying to Pilate and Herod. And he was speaking to all of these men. There was this incredible, strong fragrance that was coming from Jesus in the face of threats and the face of certain death. Jesus was anointed. There are three human realities that we see here. Number one, we see human hard, we see hardship and loss. You know, we, she lost something there. She lost something there. And you know what the world says? The world says, what a waste. That, there's a, what a waste. You know something, have you ever had that told to you? Like you've made a decision in your life and someone says, you know, that was a waste of your time. That was a waste of your years. I think there's, I think there's a music coming there. It's a waste of years. You ever hear something? I was, my wife and I were missionaries. We were living in Ukraine for about five, six years. And you look at that time. We had just gotten married. Two weeks later, I take my new bride and we move to Ukraine. Okay? <laughs> to a very hard-hit country. I mean, it was, nothing was really in the stores. It was hard. It was not easy. And, you know, we go there and we're thinking, people are saying to us, what? What are you doing? You're taking your bride there. What? Don't waste your first few years of marriage. People tell you often, we hear this very often, what a waste, what a waste. That's the way the world looks at it. I think the second thing we see is, I think that we see, we see something very powerful happening. You know, when we talk about human brokenness and human frailness, I think a lot of times we are in a place where we think, wow, that could have been so much more impactful, that could have been so much more powerful, that could have been so much more something. And then the third thing we see here is that we see that Mary, who has a story, who probably was a woman that was set free from unbelievable demonic oppression, set free by Jesus Christ, she is set free. And we see that these three human realities um, permeate this whole, this whole passage. I want to look at them briefly with you, each one of them. Hardship and pain. When we think about the alabaster box, we think, wow, that must have taken so much, so much intentional strength and fortitude to do that. It must have taken some real, real willpower. And when we think about pain, when we think about tragedy, when we think about loss, sometimes we look at it and we think, oh, that was just so senseless. Why did that person waste those years of their life 
of their youth on the mission field. Well, why did they waste that weekend being involved with this church or with this event? And you know something, when we look at hardness and hardship and pain, it does not matter. Our life is going to be filled with that anyway, because we live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where evil is, is rampant. We live in a world where there is human will that's against God's will. And sometimes, many times, we become victims of that. We suffer that. But you know something? Hardship and pain is something that you and I experience every day. And we experience it every day because we're sacrificing for the thing that's the treasure of our heart. Hardness and pain is not something that we are averse to. It's something that we are doing every day because this is what we do. This means so much to us. My wife and I, for a period of time, had the joy. I would say it was a joy. It was not easy, but it was a, it was a lot of fun to do translation work. Uh, when we were living in the Washington, D.C. area, we were able to be translators for dignitaries, diplomats. Um, we got to be in some really cool places like the White House, the Pentagon, and the Department of Justice. We have some really cool stories of those places. And I remember being in that, and I remember seeing people, young people, beautiful young people, that sacrificed everything in their life so that they could do this job. You can see the pain of lack of sleep. You can see the pain of just toxic relationships in D.C. You can see all of this happening, and you're wondering why are they doing that? Why are they putting themselves through so much pain and so much suffering? Why? Because the treasure of their heart was to do what they were doing. People do that with their careers. People do that, and they sacrifice their marriages. They sacrifice their kids. They sacrifice things. Why? Because it's the treasure of their heart. We are going to be doing that anyway. Here, this woman is doing it for Jesus because Jesus here means everything to her. You know, God is working brokenness into our life. You know, brokenness, I think when we hear that word, we're thinking of sin. We're thinking of defection. We're thinking of um, uh, just problems in people's lives. But there's another way to look at that word broken. God works brokenness into our life so that he can work something out. Pain and hardness, we can look at that and say, well, that is so difficult. What, have you ever been in a situation where you're asking yourself, now, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? You have people that are just maybe not thankful. You have somebody that is just, you pour out your heart and then it just gets walked on by individuals. And sometimes you ask yourself, why are you doing this? God is working brokenness into us. And this brokenness is so that the pres- that which is precious inside of us can be poured out. And I want to get to that in a second. Brokenness, when we think of brokenness, I think of this. People take broken things and they throw them away because they're useless, right? What's a, what's, a broken, what's a broken lawnmower going to do for me? What is a broken car going to do for me? What's, what's a broken dish going to be doing for me? But God takes, God can only take and use broken things. If something's not broken, it's not useful to God. If you and I are not broken, then we are not useful to God. I think that we look at the world, we look at the system, and we see unbroken people. We see very strong people. We see people that are very mighty, and we see people with a very strong face. But believe me, and I think maybe you guys know this, that once you get to know somebody, you get to know their brokenness. And you can know if Jesus is there healing them or not. Brokenness is something that without, God, without us surrendering to the plan of God of brokenness, 
then the fragrance can't get out. Why are we not growing? What happens? Why? You know, when you look at someone who lives in cyclic failure or repetitive defect or toxicity, or maybe we look at it in our own lives and we say, why is this repetitive issue in my life? You know why it is? It's for two reasons. Because we're just not, we're just not broken. And brokenness, number one, is not something that, <clears throat> when we think of brokenness, it's not something where God is trying to break your will. <clears throat> That's not spiritual brokenness. When we think about brokenness, we're not thinking about people that where God is literally breaking people's bodies or breaking people's countries. I remember when um, the Bosnia-Herzegovina war had just finished. It was in the late 90s. We had an, we had an opportunity to go to this war-torn area of Yugoslavia. I don't know if you remember. The civil war, the atrocities, the xenophobia, just the incredible, it was, it was, just, it was a horror show there. And I, as well as a few others, had a chance to travel there and do ministry. And when we went there, um, we went to Slovenia, we went to um, Croatia, which is a very beautiful country, by the way. And then we moved closer to Serbia, and then we went to Bosnia. Bosnia was really, that was just the, that was just the middle of just all of the horrors that were going on. And we drove through these hills and through these little villages. You would find one village with a Croatian flag because it was a Croatian, Serbian, and Bosnian um, uh, countries. And each country had its own religion. It was Orthodox Christianity, Catholic Christianity, and then Islam. And these, all of these three were in this area called Bosnia. And they were all kind of divided up through this very hilly area. And as we were going through these mountains, you'd go through one little village, had a big Croatian flag, and we thought, hey, these are, this is a Croatian town, and then you move on a little farther, and you go over another hill, and then you go up into this other village, and the Croatian flag was upside down, it was all torn up, and there was another Serbian flag there. And you keep going, you find a Bosnian flag. It was a disaster, and uh, you could see tanks on the side of the road, you could see uh, just the, 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 um, the ravages of war everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever, if you have not seen that, I hope you don't ever see that, that'll change your life forever. And we, me and my team, we're driving through these little roads and we're getting more and more excited because we're going to Sarajevo. Sarajevo is the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And we thought, we're gonna go there and we're gonna just see some, we're excited about meeting these people that were just so open for the gospel and they must be crying out for God because they were just, we knew Bosnia families that had, my wife and I know a Bosnia mom and um, child who lost her husband in the Bosnian War. She had been migrating and, uh, for three days in the woods trying to get her way to the, a UN safety zone. And um, she, what she saw was incredible. They massacred her husband. And I'm thinking, this is going to be an amazing event. We're going to get to Sarajevo, which means the city of the palace. And we get there, we park our car, we grab our tracks, we grab whatever we got. We just start kind of just breaking out, talking to people in the park. After 45 minutes, I was ready. I'd never been to a place like this, but I was ready to go home. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with the city. People were so hard. They were so war-hardened. War they were so angry against God. They were just so upset. There was no brokenness whatsoever. There was a lot of brokenness, but there was no spiritual brokenness. Why? Because brokenness does not come from circumstances. Circumstances can make us actually harder. Brokenness does not come from a, a system or a regime or rules and regulations to break the will. No, brokenness comes when we say yes 
to Jesus and we say yes to his to him and Jesus is not asking you to break your alabaster box he's not asking us to do that this was a voluntary thing that Mary did why because Mary took the most valuable thing that was in her house and she brought it and she she broke it over the head of Jesus Jesus's head speaks about his government and his rulership and his love and his mind the mind of God in our life why are we not broken because I think number one we, we live in darkness and we don't see the hand of God. We don't see that this is from the hand of God. We don't look at it like we think it's people. We think it's flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, but it's not. We don't see it from the hand of God. And I think the second reason why we, do, we just don't allow brokenness to be worked into our life is that we, we just love ourselves too much. Self-love. I mean, I mean, we live in a culture of comfort, don't we? I mean... We live in a culture, and I love, I love our Constitution. I think the United States is an amazing country, and I love it. Our Constitution really protects and really kind of defines a real comfort zone. Um, the land of the brave, the home of the free, right? Self-love. Like, you know, I love myself too much to be sacrificed. I mean, I can do all these things for God, but don't touch me. And I think that that's so easy to do. We talked a couple weeks ago about volunteerism. Versus a personal calling. Volunteerism is when I'm doing a lot of stuff for God, but we're not, I'm not letting God get the deep things in my heart. And when he puts his finger there, I'm just saying, oh, 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 no. That, that's off limits, God. That, that door is closed. We are so much in love with ourselves. And the result of that is bondage. We get to a place where we are, in, we are entrapped. Do you ever get entrapped in your own comfort zone? Comfort zones are good. We need them. We need safety zones. Because they're a place of refuge, they're a place for us to rest. I'm not against that. I'm just saying that when our comfort zone and our safety zones begin to control us, that's when we enter into non-brokenness. I think that the second thing that we see here in the scriptures that we just read is that there are times in our life when we feel like that what we do and what we attempt to do has just no impact. We just don't sense, we don't sense the big boom. We don't sense the explosion. We don't sense... The, the sense of impact. And this is a human issue. And the, the, <clears throat> the reason why is, <clears throat> is because we are not properly defining what is powerful. Are you following me so far? <clears throat> How do we define powerful? I think powerful is like when, when there's a lot, when the, when the six senses, when the five senses are just, are just amazed. And we're like, wow, it's amazing. You know? That's powerful. That music is powerful. Something can be very powerful in the natural world, but not be powerful with God. In Massachusetts, when I was living there, and I don't live there anymore, and I don't miss it, to be honest with you. Um, you drive through, there's this route that goes away, from, that goes from east to west, west to east through Massachusetts. And I actually forget what the, I think it's Route 91 or Route 90. I don't remember what it is. Huh? Mass Pike, that's right. And as you're going through this mass pike, <laughs> as you're going through this mass pike, sometimes you'll notice on the side of the road these massive, massive walls of rock. Okay, there's this highway, and then on either side of you, it looks like somebody had just taken just dynamite and just blasted their way through this rock just to have a straight road. And that's what they did. And if you look carefully on those rocks, you can see, um, you can kind of see these kind of curved um, uh, holes that are broken in half where they had literally drilled maybe 30 feet into the rock. And it's about that wide. 
And what they would do is, this was back in the day before they had a lot of heavy duty equipment. They would sit there for like hours and just drill, 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 drill. And they were going as deep as possible. They would go as deep as, as, they would go as deep as they needed to for the road to be, where the road needed to be. They would drop dynamite in there. And when they would drop the dynamite and they would light off the dynamite, you would imagine that there would be this huge explosion and rocks flying everywhere, but it wasn't. It was actually kind of a low thud. And if you weren't really near that area, you wouldn't even notice it. It was kind of almost anticlimactic. And there'd be this low, there'd be like this loud, this would be this low thud. And when that would happen, you would just start to see slowly the rock begin to split and it would just break off. Kind of not really sensational to view that. I look at that as the, as the work of God in our lives. Is that when we, are, when we do what we do, and we're expecting that big bang, we're expecting that, that huge impact, we're expecting a big blast. Um, as a matter of fact, if they had tried to build a mass pipe that way, they would have wasted so much more dynamite. Because you can have dynamite sitting, and if it's not deep enough, it's going to make a big blast, but it's not going to go deep enough. We are going deep. That's what God wants us to do. We want to go deep because when the, when the charges are set off, when God says, okay, now I'm going to move, I'm going to just do this, there's going to be a low thud, and we're going to be like, wow, what just, where's God? Then suddenly, maybe, maybe, a few, maybe nothing really happens at first, but then we hear a crack, and then all of a sudden the whole earth is moving. It's just splitting in half, and we're like, oh my gosh, it just happened. How do we define power? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. verses 7 through 12. I want to read this to you. It says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. You have a treasure inside of you. And this is not Gnostic teaching, by the way. This is not the divine spark in you. This is Christ in you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Thank you. That says that Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power, I love that word surpassing. I mean, power that goes beyond belongs to God and not to us. But God, I want the power. I mean, I want to share in that feeling. I want that emotion. I need this for me. (laughs) Ever say that? Men, we have this thing. We get just we just get attached to what we're doing. This is not good. We get attached to what we're doing. It becomes all about my me and my image and. We find ourselves saying to our wives or saying to our friends, you know, I really need this. I really need this because this means a lot to me. That the power of God, the power belongs to God and not not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Wow, this is not going to be a very popular message. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Does this sound encouraging? Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in your mortal flesh. So death is at work in you, so that what? So that life, death is working in Paul saying this to the Corinthians, death is working in me, so that life can be working in you in the Corinthian church. Without death working in us, there's going to be no power. You know something? When you look at your circumstances, and we desire that more powerful 
experience. We experience, we desire that powerful move of God, and we just hear a low thud. And then at that moment, we have to understand that death is working into me. You know, I think sometimes we look at circumstances and we say, well, what does that have to do? What does my car breaking down have to do with my spirituality? Or what is uh, this issue here, this, this conflict that I'm having in my relationship, what does that have to do with my Christianity? It has to do with everything. Because death is working in you because you are going to be working life into other people. Do you know, I would love, and I think that everyone in this room would like to experience this as well. I would love to feel very powerful in what I do. I'd love to be a powerful pastor. I mean, I'm sure that you teach in the school here. You'd love, love to be a powerful teacher. You'd love to be a powerful business person. You'd love to be a powerful husband. You'd love to be a powerful wife. But you know something? Death works in us. And when death works in us, we're just kind of like, we're just dragging ourselves along a little bit. Sorry this doesn't sound like a very victorious message. We're just kind of dragging ourselves along in the plane of God. And then we open our mouth and then God blesses it. And God uses the school. And God uses the business. And God uses your marriage. And God uses you as a parent. And then the kids grow up and they say, and I, I can say this about my parents. My parents were not perfect people. They had a lot of things going on in their life. But you know what I saw every day? I saw two broken people humbling themselves, loving each other. And showing us Christ. And that's why, that's why I love them so much. I want to say the third thing here is, by the way, brokenness. Brokenness, we, you know, we hear a lot of messages about prosperity of God. This is your time. God's going to move. Uh, God's going to move this from here over to here. This is a time for your breakthrough, for you to overcome. And I, what is the answer to that? Our breakthrough and our overcoming and our time where we see God move is when we say yes to the mighty plan of God and we maybe resign our corporate job and we step into something like, what? What am I doing this for? Because I had, so, I had life was so great over here, but it was so empty. It was so empty. And brokenness is the way of blessing. It's the way of fragrance. It's the way of fruitfulness. You know, when we say yes to God and we say yes to God in the details of our life, we say yes to God, and we say yes to Him, even when He doesn't answer our prayers. I'd like to say that God always answers our prayers, but if He doesn't answer it the way we want it to be, we just say thank you, Jesus. I remember when my mom passed away. She passed away suddenly, and some of you that know me know the story, but she had, um, she had passed away. She, sitting, she was sitting at her desk. She was studying her Bible school notes, and she had her Bible open, and she had fallen asleep during when she had slept. Her, her, her heart stopped. And she went home to be with the Lord. That's the way I'd like to go. And she's, she was there. And when we were cleaning up her apartment, there was a little thing that was written on the front. It was right in front of her. And I could tell it meant a lot to her. I'd never seen it before, but it was written in her handwriting. And it was kind of like on a piece of paper that had yellowed. And it was stuck inside of like a little plastic piece of something. And it said this. It said this. And it never, I'll never forget it. It said this. Can you trust me for the thing that I allow and not ask me why. Can you trust me for the thing that I've allowed? God is saying this. Can you trust me for the thing that I've allowed to happen in your life and not ask me why? And the answer to that is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? I remember being in Philadelphia with my wife and we had we called up there to help a church start, to restart. And it was a church of elderly people. Uh, the building was falling, was falling apart and 
I don't know, well, we said yes because we just loved the, the pastor there. He was an older man. And I remember saying yes to that. And we were up there, we had this big plan. We're going to refurbish this church. We're going to regenerate it. We're going to get some young people in here. It's going to get going. It's going to be great. And then we had our opening day, and 10 elderly people showed up. And I was in my heart not right. I, I just, to be honest with you, I was just like, I was like, God, this is not good. I thought it was going to be more powerful. I thought it was going to be this and that. And, and, and I just remember getting up to preach, and, and the Holy Spirit just kind of yelled out of my face, is Jesus enough for you as a pastor? Is Jesus enough for you as a pastor? Is Jesus enough? And I said, well, I wish I could say that I said yes, and then everything, the church blew up, and it was a wonderful large church, but that's not the way the story went. The story went was that I said no. I said, Jesus is not enough. I want something more powerful. And I remember going through this process with God, and God began to work in my heart because brokenness is the way of blessing. Today, there's such a beautiful thing happening there, and God is doing some wonderful things. God has raised up some young people who are just really following God. Look at Jacob. I love Jacob's story. Here's Jacob, the swindler. He's the guy, you know, he's the usurper. He's the guy who was, he was uh, in the womb with, with Esau. And, and like, he's even in the womb, he's kind of wrestling. He wants to... He wants to, uh, he wants to, he wants the preeminence, he wants the best. And he's born, and we see his whole life of him wheeling and dealing to make, to work the system so that he can come out up front. He gets the blessing, and he gets what he wants, but there's a lot of regret there. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, it says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. It's a verse that my wife and I have for our marriage, one of our marriage verses. And here's Jacob. We see that he's in this process, and we see that he gets the woman that he does, he gets the woman he gets Rachel that he always loved, but she dies prematurely. Um, he gets the job that he wants, but he gets in bondage to that job. Later on, he loses his he loves his, he loses his beloved son Josh, uh, Joseph, and he doesn't know where Joseph is, and he's he's dealing with this, and we see that he's wrestling with the angel at Camille, and he's. He's speaking, he says, he says, bless me, bless me. And the blessing that God gives him through that wrestling match was a broken thigh. And we see that God is making jo uh, Jacob weaker in his own flesh, but stronger in his trust for God. And in one of the most amazing verses that we read in the book of Genesis is the end, we see Joseph, we see, sorry, Jacob leaning, you read this verse, he's leaning on his staff and he's blessing his family. That's a, that's a strong man made broken. And you know something? Brokenness in Jacob's life worked a blessing in his entire family. I think that when we want blessing and power and the move of God, get ready for brokenness. And guess what? When you're, when you're in broken, I'm not talking about a sadistic God that enjoys doing this. God is saying, look, can you just trust me? Because i got something so much bigger than you have your item. You just want this little key of a thing, and I've got this mountain for you, and I've got to get your eyes off of that, and I've got to get your eyes off of what you're looking at, what you consider powerful, and what you consider treasurable. i got something so much bigger, and it's called Jesus and God's plan for your life. And let me, let me get your eyes off of that. And that's why God has to dismantle sometimes our life, and he has to dismantle things. Not because God doesn't love us, but, he, but because he does love us. And he says, I want you to see the bigger picture. And it's not something that you can see right now. Just, just you know what? Just keep saying yes. Just keep saying yes to God. Because yes to God. 
Because brokenness is the way of blessing. And Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And that's the name of the great country Israel that we see, which is God's real estate on this earth. Lastly, we see this human anomaly of brokenness. And it's just, um, it's just personal, cyclic personal failure and toxic defects that we see in our humanity. We look at our weakness and we say, God, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. How many have ever done that? I've done that. I do that often. God, deliver me from this weak. I don't want to feel weak in this circumstance. I just want to feel powerful. I want to feel like God's moving in this thing. Or I want to be, I want to have victory over this, over this weakness in my life. And, and you know what I want to say? I just want to say that our weakness, and I'm not talking about weakness to sin. Weakness can lead to sin if we don't take our weakness and just lean on God with it. But our weakness is our greatest asset. Can I tell you that? Like, your weakness, what you and I wrestle with, I don't know what it is. I don't, if, if maybe it's something about you. Maybe it's your nationality. Or maybe it's what you, what, what you wish that you would happen in your life. Or maybe it's a weakness of a, of a circumstance that happened in your life that puts you at a handicap. Uh, maybe actually people will, will reflect that to you. The world will reflect that to you, that you're a weak person. But I want to say that your weakness my weakness is our greatest asset. What's our greatest liability? Our natural strength. The thing that I can do in the energy of my flesh, that I can do well, that I can do, and on the Enneagram, I'm a three. That just means nothing. It just means I like order, efficiency. I like, I like, to, I like to see a big engine moving, all the parts moving, right? And just ask to ever go stuff and drive me crazy. That can be the greatest weakness. That Your strength can be your greatest weakness, and that's what we need to we need to let die. And that's the last thing I want to say in John 12, verse 24. Jesus says this. And this is just moments after Lazarus has come out of the grave. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, what, is that, what does it do? It lives in loneliness, depression, isolation, fear, alone. But if it dies, and that condition, that's a condition in the Greek grammar, which it may or may not depends on if we surrender to God and say yes to God. If it dies, then what happens? It bears much fruit. And this is what I want to end with. What's the way of fruitfulness in a believer's life? Surrender. Surrender to the cross of Christ. And you know, my circumstance, my problems are not my cross. Those are just circumstances and problems. Our cross is what Jesus died on when he took our shame and he Think of that. What's the most shameful thing that's happened in your life, that's happening in your life? Jesus took that on him, himself. And it became him and not you. And he took that shame and he took our sins and he took those skeletons that were in our closet and he nailed them to a tree. There's nothing, there's no closet for the believer. For the believer, there's only a secret abode where we can meet Jesus Christ in the altar room and in prayer and in, in adoration of Jesus Christ. And when we, say, when we say yes to God, the shell breaks. And what's the shell? What's the alabaster box? What is this, what is this vessel that, that the clay vessels? We read this in the story of Gideon. And it, 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 it um, alludes to that. It is not our physical body. Because you can break our body and we can become even more proud. It is our soul. It's our preferential life. It's that part of us that contains the spirit of us. And when, that, when we die to those preferences and we say yes to God's preferences in our life, and when we say yes to God and surrender, 
then the then the and that takes some time by the way it could take 10 years it could take 20 years it could take five minutes when we say yes to God and that shell breaks that's when we begin to see through and that's when we begin to see Christ in each other when the outward man and we live in a Greco Roman Greco culture where that where where everybody's admiring the out box but nobody's talking about the inner man nobody's talking about the substance within we make a big deal about the outward, but really God is not interested in the outward. He wants that broken. He wants that, he wants that opened up, and He wants to pour us out. And when you feel like you're poured out, and I don't know if you're maybe being a new parent, <laughs> I felt that way. Like I'm just like spiritually like physically, like spiritually laying on the floor, like God, I cannot. No. <laughs> Can't do this. No. And you're laying, you're poured out, and guess and guess what? That's when the treasure is coming out. I said this to my wife, but I think I've, met, I've, I've seen things about my wife that I never knew after 25 years of marriage for becoming a mom. And it's like the treasure is coming out. It's like, honey, it's amazing. I never knew that about it. That's awesome. And the treasure starts to come out. And this is what fellowship is. I, I want to just wrap it up with this. This is what fellowship in church is. When you are walking with God and the dust is being broken, and you're coming into church, you're coming into fellowship, the house church, house church for the week. I invite you to attend. It's just an awesome, fun, informal time of fellowship. When you come, you meet together. You're coming in and you're oozing at the seams. You're broken. You're just bleeding. Maybe the vessel is broken. You had a hard week. And you're just saying yes to God every day. And you're just, you're walking. You can hardly walk in. And guess what? You meet somebody at the door and they say, you know what? I see Jesus in you. I see the life of God in you. I can see you just being here by faith. It's going to change my life. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to blow. This is what the church needs today. This needs, the church today needs folks like you and I to be walking with Jesus Christ, to be looking at Him, to be allowing Him to pour us out as a blessing to the Shenandoah neighborhood. You know, stuff that happens in our personal life, it's not for us. We suffer. Yeah, it makes us amazing people, maybe. I don't know. But it's for other people. What you suffer is not, it's, let's not pour that to ourselves. What you and I suffer is for other people. And when you share with other people, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change their life and it's going to really make them transformed. There's a book that my wife has. It's a very curious book. And it's a big, thick book. It's like that. She's going to get her PhD in health and wellness. It's really thick. It's like green letters. I see it all the time. The title is How Not to Die. It's like, how not to die? And I look at that book and I'm thinking, wow, that's like, that title just alone, like, I think everybody in the world is trying to figure out how not to die. How to extend, how to extend the, the imminent death that's coming at you. Maybe, maybe 10 more, 15 more years. That's great. But you know what the Bible is? The Bible is a book that tells us how to die. How to die with Christ. It tells us about how Christ died for us. And that when he died for us, there was an exchange of power. When we understand the cross of Jesus Christ, guess what happens? We are set free from the shell. We're set free from all of our personality quirks. We're set free from everything that's going on in our mind. And by the way, I think everyone has mental illness to different levels and degrees. Just some of us can handle it better. I talked to someone this week, a young lady who has been struggling with mental illness. And um, I didn't know what to say to her. I mean, I don't really know what to say to people. Sometimes I, I felt like if I just quote a Bible verse or say some 
some trite thing. It just would be, be offensive. And I just said, you know what, this, this, this lady needs to know the joy of the Lord. And so we just talked, fellowshiped, and had, just had a good laugh. And she said at the end of that, she said, you know something that means so much when you and I take up the cross and we, we look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus and say, you know what, that's, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I was coming here in an Uber and, and, I was ta- and there was a guy who was from Mexico. And he goes, brother, you could see me read my Bible. And he goes, what's the gospel that we're going to be talking about from this morning? I said, book of Mark, verse chapter 14. And I began to share with him. And he said in broken English, and I made the mistake of saying something in Spanish to him. And he just takes off in Spanish. And I'm like, oh, no hables. And he just said to me, he said, Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. And when Jesus becomes enough, when Jesus is everything, all the deficiencies, all the brokenness, and all the lack of energy and power that we, that we struggle with becomes nothing in the eyes of the Lord. Because at that moment... The pain that we suffer is just something that we do gladly because this means everything to us. I just have to say one thing about the school here is I'm not called to work with kids. I just admire teachers. I think they're the most amazing people on the planet. Yes. These people that show up, that, do, that, that work with kids, I don't know. That's, I'm not part of that sphere of amazing people. And, you know, you look at what, they're, what they face. And recently, Christ Community School posted a picture of that was happening in one of their classrooms and the smile on these teachers faces and the kids and I'm thinking I don't know if the class was always like that but there's so much joy on that face and you know what that means it means that we have discovered something in the plan of God that is so valuable that means so much to us that we are willing to sacrifice it all because we're winning Christ these kids are winning Christ we are winning Christ this morning here in this chapel and in this service amen so thank you very much. Let's bow our, he- bow our heads and just close our eyes as we, as we finish.